comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. WERU is volunteer-powered community radio, which means it depends on volunteers to make the station go. The list of volunteer opportunities is long and includes music programming, public affairs production, and answering the phones during pledge drive. If you want to learn more, we invite you to attend a new volunteer orientation session, now held every month on the third Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. No commitment to volunteer is necessary to attend, but if you've ever wondered about volunteering at WERU, if you want to learn more about the station and what happens to bring WERU to your ears, this session is for you. That's WERU New Volunteer Orientation on the third Thursday of every month, 6 to 8 p.m., right here at our East Orland Studios. Please call 469-6600 or email info at weru.org to reserve your spot. This hour of Boat Talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. The time is 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online everywhere at weru.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. Uh, beautiful Tuesday morning for December. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio. It happens every second Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. I'm Alan Sprague, and that's Mike Joyce over there, the old rusty anchors of Boat Talk. And Boat Talk is a show that uh, can cover anything from flying fish to sinking investments i think <laughs> perhaps today it'll be the latter and uh we do have uh, some other things to announce other than i'm sure people are, are already wondering what's happening with boat talk a a, a frequent topic here on boat talk yeah uh with raw, with raw faith, faith yeah. i mean yes and we have a guest here this morning bell rider is here from uh union river boats or i guess they call it rider boats now and uh, last month we were talking about the new boat they're building, the Presto 30, a yeah. uh, Cat Catch Sharpie. And uh, it's a remarkable boat. Been voted uh, Sail Magazine's Boat of the Year, among other uh, interests that it's uh, generated. Bell uh, just uh, had a little personal emergency. had to step out for a minute, <laughs> but she'll be right back. That's no problem. And we would like to be able to, you know, in essence, we have two programs, two full programs this morning at least. And uh, we need to talk about Raw Faith. She sank just recently. And, uh, you know, we've got to talk about that, but I uh, also want to be able to talk about Bell and the uh, uh, really interesting uh, boat of the year, according to Sail Magazine, yep. you know, being boat built right here in Bucksport, Maine. Well, one thing we should probably mention right off the bat that covers both subjects is the Boat Talk website right now, which has pictures of the Presto 30 going from a trailer boat into the water. Yeah, and ready also to go. has film of Raw Faith being abandoned. That's true, too. You want to watch a heavy moment, watch those boys jump off that boat. They ain't coming we, back. We just put up a uh, three podcasts, actually, of previous boat talk shows where we had interviews with George McKay, the builder of Raw Faith. Totals 83 minutes, three, three different podcasts that are there in the uh, Raw Faith tape section. Yeah. And you check out, uh, like say, how we've approached the subject over the years. Alan has also excerpted some stuff that will run in a couple minutes. But a uh, little note here this morning. Usually start off with the maritime news, you know, and we've got so much stuff. Didn't really bring the maritime news this morning. But here's stuff about employment with the uh, Tidal Power uh, Project down to Eastport. They, uh, it was howling. Sunday night. I mean, uh, just raining a gale and, and howling wind. You remember that laying in bed? There was a man uh, from uh, Thomaston who was on our offshore lobster boat out of Rhode Island, 45 Ooh. miles south of uh, of uh, 
Rockland Sunday afternoon, he went in the water accidentally, and uh, people were out there searching all that night for him, okay? Think Man, of that. Boy, what fun. Yeah, and of course, uh, there's a cruise ship got beat up in the Mediterranean. People got tossed around. They rolled 30 degrees on the ship in the bed. The mattress come off the bed. <laughs> so anyway, uh, terror on the, on the high seas, and uh, you know we, we ain't got time for that this morning. So uh, we're going to do the raw faith and the uh, hopefully the Presto 30 here. I got to say something else too, okay? Before we get into this whole raw faith. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's a note on sources. And what happened with Raw Faith event, uh, initially was uh, I was reading a book one night, and uh, the television's on in the background, and Bill Green's main is on, and, and here's a boat-building story, and, and they're building the boat with a nail gun, and that just, you can't do that, and sat up in bed, put the book down, says, we're going to go talk to those people. Called up Alan, says, we're going down to Addison, you won't believe this. And we headed down there, and uh, the minute I landed down there, um, there was something about... Uh, uh, Tom McKay and I, the middle son, we just took to each other, and we remained very, very uh, good friends. Tom's a very important person in my life, and uh, I was just offshore twice in November, and both times I took Tom. We had problems. We were uh, delivering a Swan 44 that was messed up and had been abandoned in Kittery by people who couldn't get it to Bass Harbor, and it took us twice to get it to Bass Harbor, no engine, no electronics sort of situation, middle of the night, and we did that out in November, and uh, Tom was out there with me, you know, so... Um, I have and have always had an inside perspective on the raw faith story, okay? Um, to me, the personal story has been really part of the most interesting part of it, but have always shied away from it and have always withheld stuff that, uh, you know, I've known from knowing the family, okay? And uh, a lot of that stuff nowadays is public knowledge, and I refer specifically to the fact that uh, Joanne McKay, uh, uh, George's wife, had a nice life. She had a big house on a lake in Winthrop, homeschooling the kids. I mean, you know, uh, Cadillac in the in the driveway and stuff. And George experienced this call from God that he didn't dare to tell the wife about for a while. But when he did, she went along with it and basically impoverished herself to uh, follow this dream. But once the boat got launched, it became a different object to her. And she went to George and says, mirror the boat. And George says, you don't understand. And to me, that is so fascinating because uh, that call from God was kind of obeyed. But after a while, it become, hey, i got to come down from the cross now, you know. And uh, she bailed out. And it was hard on the family. And we stayed away from that the whole time. So anyway, um, here's the thing. I don't know stuff this time. And what I don't know this time is some of the most critical stuff, and I don't think we can know right away. Um, George has taken a huge, huge hit, and uh, you've got to imagine the state that he's in right now. And uh, he didn't want to talk to us. And uh, so anyway, we don't know certain things right now. I'm not withholding, uh, and you know what I do know is pretty much public, and, and that's how we're going to approach it. But there are unanswered questions, that's what I'm saying. Um, yep, and I'm sure we'll be getting some more questions, too. This is a call-in show. The number to call in is, which one is it? one 625 9378 And uh, we have a, a little short clip of uh, previous shows that George has been on, so why don't we sort of introduce the raw face subject with that little clip. Are you ready? That's a good idea. Thanks, Alan. Okay, here is uh, our pre-recorded clip. So anyway, we went down there and uh, visited those people and spoke with uh, Father George McKay and his family, and we have a uh, taped interview here. Question me on that. Well, you know, maybe you ought to try going sailing. I might be interested in doing that if this was about me and sailing. See, it's not. I don't care if I really ever go sailing. I think I'm going to like it. I think I'm going to, the part I'm going to like is, is the fulfilling of the mission, and I think I'll like sailing too, but if I don't, it, it, then uh, that's that's no big deal. That's George McKay, who with his family is building a remarkable boat to fulfill a remarkable mission, and it's all happening on the side of the road and river in Addison, Maine. Alan Sprague and I recently traveled down to meet the McKay family and their raw faith. I'm talking with George McKay, uh, designer and, and principal builder of raw faith. Uh, good day, George. Hi. Well, this is the first built boat I built, and so I learn a lot as I go along also. So uh, there's a lot of things I might do a little different to speed things up, speed things along once you've done it the first. 
And so you give up a lot when you start talking volunteers, kids. You know, this is me and three kids that, that built this boat. And, uh, but our motivation has been for the mission not to make a pristine yacht. How about, uh, um, I've had a little bit of experience with this. They uh, um, need a full set of plans and naval architect calculations on displacement and uh, uh, writing moments and all that kind of stuff. Can you do well, that? I, I've, I can draw up the plans. I, haven't, I don't have a full set of plans drawn up right now. That's one of the things that are holding us up. Right. Once I got laid off, lost that money, we said, well, what do we do now? And uh, the decision was that we would get started on working on the boat. We had an idea what we, on what we wanted to do and how to do it, uh, so we didn't need the detailed plans that the Coast Guard would need for certification. So part of the plan would be uh, get the boat in the water, uh, get started on our mission and get some funding coming in and then uh, perhaps pursue it through a naval architect at that point in time. We probably will end up getting the boat Coast Guard certified. Initially, we're not going to have the certification because uh, uh, I just don't have the funding to pursue that at this point in time. But uh, uh, I've talked to the Coast Guard, and as long as we're allowed to have as many guests on board as we want, and right. so the voyages that we offer are all going to be free anyways. We don't ever intend on uh, charging anybody. It's been a wonderful experience for me working on building a boat, but I certainly don't plan on ever building another one. I'm going to be a little bit harder on those folks than I think you are. I'm, I'm still skeptical about this thing. I, um, but it's just the construction methods, and you know, it's uh, a boat that I think that needs to be shaken down hard and long. Before, if I were on the boat, be taking any uh, any uh, passengers. We talked about it before we went down there, and and uh, you know, of course, we're approaching it from the point of view of boat builders, and. From a boat building point of view, bizarre, funky, fun, <laughs> funky, funky. It's kind of funky, and George would be the first one to tell you that, and very cheerfully so. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, he'd miss you it. It's crudely built, and it look certainly at, is that. Uh, I wouldn't even say crude. I'd say funky. Mm. Um, there is a, uh, you know, my my big issues uh, is always not. Not what something looks like when it's brand new. To me, if something is built well, it'll age well. And I, I wonder, you know, how this will age. I worry about electrolysis. What do you think about the whole business? The uh, number here, it's a call-in show, is 1-866-625-9378. I'm in a boat that the gentleman's building. Yes, go ahead. The, uh, you know, the short planks and the continuity of the structure would be my concern with that. Yes, they are. He, he said that mostly uh, eight-foot planks on there. Yeah, and yeah. there are, if you go and count the butts on there, you'll probably run out of uh, numbers before you can get done counting all the butts on that. Nor are they staggered, uh, you know, three frames and uh, planks between every butt as, you know, in a, a more official boat builder uh, type approach. Yeah, so with the, you know, the tar is almost a lubricant as opposed to, a, you know, epoxy or a glue or a whatnot. Well, you're right, and uh, that's a real big concern of mine, anyway, of the, uh, the keel that he's made, which is just nailed with uh, iron nails and tar in between. But um, one thing he says is that even if this boat does fall apart, he's, a, he's a accomplished his mission of being able to take kids out on the water, and if he gets enough uh, funding from uh, proving that he uh, can do that, he might be able to afford to make a, a, a real... More, more safe vessels to carry on the mission. Orland, uh, just up the road, in fact. But uh, the raw face seems to be the key phrase um, in this whole operation. Yes. Who's, who's going to be uh, driving the boat? George is uh, going to be the captain. And again, George has uh, never been sailing. Uh, he has been uh, thinking about the subject for a long time. Uh, George is a pretty smart fellow. Right. There, I mean, the coast of Maine can be really nice in the summertime, but there can also be some really scary days out there. And, you know, he's venturing even beyond the coast of Maine. And it, seamanship seems to be a real huge question in my mind. And, you know, just knowing what to do when, you know, when it gets really foggy or, you know, who knows what, you know, really, you know, really windy. And he, he may have folks on board. And it's definitely no small trick maneuvering a boat that size in and out of some of the harbors. Even a modern yacht with a uh, nice diesel engine. Right. So I'm, 
it just, you know, I, he's using that loophole of, of having guests on board, but if I were him, I'd be really concerned about um, his potential guests maybe not wanting to get on board the boat in, in the first place. Actually, pre-recorded from two, two of the three interviews we had with George McKay, and as I said earlier, you can see the uh, hear the entire three interviews by going to the uh, archive section of weru.org or boattalk.org. Now I saw the phone ring. Is there somebody standing by there? No, no. Okay, we're, we're let's out, uh, off the hook. Let's uh, tell the story about what happened, just so uh, we see that we're all on the same page here. And again, uh, this is pretty much from uh, public sources, the television, the paper, the internet and stuff. And uh, um, George left uh, uh, Rockland, Maine finally, and uh, headed down to Portland, where he spent last winter. And uh, kind of made friends with Phineas Sprague, Portland Yacht Services, the guy who puts on the Maine Boat Builders show. And uh, was at Phineas's dock, but uh, couldn't stay there forever. And and he had to go, so uh, he's heading south. And and uh, you know, the mission was never, to my knowledge, accomplished about taking handicapped people. No, out. no, no, never, 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 never quite got there. But um, you know, still uh, traveling, hopefully, and trying to raise funds, trying to get in his gun engines, trying to get it in there, but failed. Um, the boat hasn't been out of the water since it was launched. Okay. Yeah, and no bottom paint ever. Six, uh, eight years ago now. Anyway. So anyway, now he's got to uh, he's got an, an invitation from the town of Winthrop, Massachusetts. They have built a new municipal pier, and they are in, out, of, out of Boston Harbor, out by Logan Airport. And uh, they think that if they get this uh, galleon ship on their pier, people will come down and, and look at the ship in the pier, and that'll be good for everybody. You yeah, know, that was last summer, right? That was uh, last summer, and uh, he kind of wore out his welcome there too. And after a while, he ended up anchored out uh, at the end of Logan Airport there, looking for another place to go got a hold of the National Park Service in Salem, Massachusetts, and uh, they have a pier. So he was invited by the National Park Service into Salem Harbor. Now, he's coming into Salem Harbor, and, and the harbor master, uh, Peter, uh, talked to him yesterday on the phone down in Salem, um, gets a call and says there is a pirate ship uh, being towed into uh, uh, you know, the shallows outside your harbor by a aluminum uh, pontoon boat. And Peter got his boat run right out there, and George was out of the channel and didn't quite understand wh- which way is supposed to be going and danger running aground, you know, welcome to Salem. So anyway, they got him tied up at the dock, and uh, he is giving tours, which he was doing with, uh, and uh, Winthrop too, having pirate people dressed up, pirate uh, man and woman, and giving, like, pirate tours and, and raising a couple bucks. And, uh, you know, that's always kind of fun and thing. Doesn't have hardly any money. Now, um, supposed to be on that dock until Halloween. Come the 1st of December, they come and say, Halloween has gone by. Kind of past <laughs> Halloween, buddy. What's happening? And uh, you got to go. And uh, different tensions with different people and not a simple situation. You got your harbor master, you got your national park, you got your town, and they're all. There's a bunch of pulling strings there, okay, and not mm-hmm. everybody's on the same page, so it ain't simple. And somebody can tell you one thing, and then somebody else will come back and tell you something else. And from George's point of view, it's pretty frustrating. But anyway, George has got to go. Now, he's tied to a dock there, and that's about as good as it's going to get for raw faith, and it's going to be hard to find another one. It's hard to untie that thing and go. Doesn't have an engine. Doesn't have a crew. <laughs> he can't just, he's a prisoner in a lot of ways. In some ways, his options are limited. So anyway, here's what happens. The um, and again, I talked to the uh, Peter, the harbor master in Salem, Massachusetts, yesterday. They come aboard and they have a little meeting on the deck, and uh, you know it starts off all right, but it, it uh, degenerates. And uh, as as the harbor master said, George, uh, you know, was not taken. You you got to go very, very uh, uh, nicely because it presents him with a lot of problems. So he starts telling them, "This is what I need to do. This is what I I need a crew. I need this. I need that." And they says, no, you got to go, man. But I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll wait till the wet. We'll give you till the weather's good. We'll give you a weather window. And you got to go. So George needs crew. And he lines up, I believe, uh, five or six people. Come time to untie the boat, uh, four or five of those people say, gee, uh, not, oh, man, today, uh, the cat's got a hairball today. I could go tomorrow, but not today. You know what I'm saying? Can't make it, dude. One guy shows up. His name's Andre. And uh, apparently he was sick before he left the harbor. No experience. And uh, seasick before he was out of the harbor. 
Um, so for whatever reason, uh, George left that harbor. Now, the harbor master was very conscious of the fact that he might have been forcing George out into harm's way. It's December, North Atlantic Ocean. Not casual thing. No, but they did did wait for the best weather they could at the Waited time. Waited for the best weather window, but we can't wait for everything. George uh, said to the fellow, "Look, I can't I can't leave till I get the muscles off my hull. Boat's been sitting there forever. It's foul, foul, foul. Okay, mm. on the bottom." And the harbor master looks at George, says, "You come in with muscles," and so he goes out with muscles. And as far as the harbor master goes, he's at a Patriots game when he gets a call from the Coast Guard and says, "We're uh, dealing with these people 150 miles south of Nantucket." He goes, "What?" He thought they were headed to New Jersey. And as he says, if he thought they were going to take that boat to Bermuda, he may have, you know, tried somehow to discourage that. He had no it's, idea. It's still unclear just which way they were going That's to go. That's the crux of the whole thing right there. I said, why did George not just go around the corner and throw the hook out? He has the right to do that anywhere on the coast of America, rights of navigation, you know. And uh, apparently, George felt threatened somehow. I cannot understand this quite yet. And uh, it seems to me that George felt that his boat was going to be seized somehow, is the only, only way I can figure it, and that he had to get offshore to, to save his boat, so to speak, and headed out with Andres with a bad feeling. He went out there knowing that Bermuda was kind of a, uh, a bit of a pie in the sky. That lends the question of, haven't you been out there and been rescued before, man? I mean, you know, would you put yourself in that situation? Uh, how? So now we're three days out there. The boat's got no autopilot, okay? I do this for a living. I'm a professional uh, uh, sailor. I'm bo- we deliver boats, okay? And we take as the least amount of crew as possible on our boat deliveries. People are problems. They break things. Um, they need to take up space. You've got to feed them. They get grumpy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Two people on raw faith to Bermuda with no autopilot, I would not consider, I would consider it at the extreme range of, uh, you know, anybody who is totally competent. Yeah, an 88-foot boat. Um, what? Three-masted schooner. Three-masted, yes. Um, two of the best sailors I know, me and, uh, you know, we would have a hell of a time doing that. George with a uh, seasick guy, ain't got a prayer, with a foul hull, and the boat is leaking. And we also, don't know how much, though. Well, let me add, if he was indeed heading for Bermuda, then to end up south of Nantucket, you're pretty far off course. No, already. that's pretty much, they From went, out around, no, went out around Cape Cod, and you have to escape the Gulf of Maine, which is um, a surprisingly enclosed body if you factor in George's Bank. Now, they don't want to go out over George's Bank. It's shallow, and that makes it nasty and rough, okay? because the waves trip on the shallow water bottom. They've, they've got to go out the Great South Channel, which is between the tip of Cape Cod and uh, George's Bank. There's a deep spot, and you head out there, and you're going due south. Hmm. And uh, that's the way to Bermuda. So anyway, um, we just did this uh, Swan 44 uh, back in uh, the middle of November, okay? And we got it out of Kittery. We run out of gas and electronics 4.30 in the morning, uh, the next uh, morning after we left uh, 40 miles off of Portland. We sailed it into Falmouth, okay? And uh, brought it into the boatyard and had it fixed and left it there and brought it back next time. We run into some people in a uh, 36-foot Columbia or something there who were headed to Bermuda direct from Falmouth and going to the Caribbean. They were way late in early November. Nobody else out there taking that path right now. Everybody that's on that path is long gone, okay? It's too late. It's really too late to be doing that. Um, so George, uh, like I say, probably was not planning to go uh, to Bermuda until he felt forced to. And I believe his ultimate destination would have even been Brazil. He wanted to get that boat hauled out of the water and have it coppered. And again, the boat's not going to live forever. It's dying a nail sickness. And again, it hasn't been, hasn't been maintained in the water. So here's the questions. Um, why did he think he had to, uh, like say, remove the boat from the coast of America? How much water was it making? Um, when, uh, when it was rescued, uh, they got off the boat at 2.30 in the afternoon, okay, an hour, hour and a half before dark. Two feet of water in the bilge. Bilge pump had stopped. Um, smell of sewerage, uh, you know, and maybe a torn sail or two. The boat, if you look at the video on the BoatTalk.org website, it looks like it's floating like a duck bobbing as they jump off the back of it there. The sails are all furled and everything. And here's the thing. When you're sailing a boat, especially into the wind, there is a great compression downward force on the mast, okay? And that will stress the hull. And if anything wants to be loose and leaking, 
that would be a bad thing to do to it, okay? If you're leaking badly, the first thing you do is get, get her off the wind, reduce the pressure on the sails, or get the sails right off of her, okay? Um, when they abandoned the boat, the sails were all nicely furled and two feet of water in the bilge. The next morning, 18 hours later, an hour and a half after sunrise, it went down. So it was leaking pretty good. Yeah, it must have been. It was also laying beam to the seas and, and uh, probably rolling pretty hard by that time and probably ended up scooping water before it totally filled. But if it went down 18 hours after that with no pressure on the hull, it was leaking pretty good. Yeah. How bad was it leaking? We don't know. No. Okay. Why did George think he had to do that? We don't know. Um, like I say, it turns out to have been a good decision to call for help instead of do the scared man with the bucket thing. And... Again, the boat has no autopilot. One person always has to be on the wheel of that boat. And what's the other guy doing? Having a nap? Uh, throwing buckets of water? Uh, you know, doing everything else it needs to be doing? Yeah, this guy, Andres, he was good to hold the wheel for about 20 minutes, but not much else. Yeah, I mean, George didn't get too far before he realized this guy was basically worthless. Nobody's sleeping, and after three days out there of that and gray seas and getting pounded around, you ain't got a brain in your head hardly. And if you do, you're a better man than I am, you know. Beam me up. So anyway, that's when it went down, and they called the Coast Guard. They come out, and there was a Coast Guard cutter standing by, um, at least two helicopters and a plane, uh, two cutters at the end. Significant resources were sent out there, and uh, they put George on the helicopter and uh, took him back to land. And uh, George might have thought, I uh, believe, that the, uh, you know, it would have been a lot less dramatic to put him on the cutter. But again, they don't want him on the cutter because then he's going to be on the cutter for a day or two. They want him back ashore. So that's what they did. They hoisted him up. Um, there is some talk out on the web of, uh, well, I've got to explain this too. When I first met George, I told him the story of the John F. Levitt. It was built in Thomaston in the 70s by a guy named uh, Ned Ackerman. And Ned was a famously difficult fellow, okay? And he built this boat and uh, forced it through, and he got it built. And he left Massachusetts in December to go to the Caribbean on his maiden voyage without a lot of experience as captain. And the boat was abandoned and lost. The uh, boat was being filmed for a documentary, so we have this as a movie called Coaster. Mm -hmm. I told George the story, and the second time I met him, I gave him a copy of the film. I said, George, it's how not to do it. So anyway, the movie ends up, how are you going to frame this thing? It ends up the tragic story of man against the sea. You know, man will be back. And I, again, this is not how to do it, George. So anyway, there is a little buzz out there, and I think it comes from the people who helped him with his mission and fundraising and stuff. Poor George, man against the sea, tragic loss. So we've got to help him back up on his feet and try it again. Now let's look at it from George's point of view, okay? George is an extraordinary man. I admire him a lot. Um, he is also a difficult fella in a lot of ways. That seems to be a recurrent theme. But let's imagine you had a call from God. How many, a uh, hundred people get a call from God. How many are going to buy a pile of lumber? How many are going to actually put some nails in it? How many are actually going to get it to look like a boat? How many are going to launch it? You know what I'm saying? Let alone fulfill the mission. It's extraordinary that he accomplished what he did. And without being George, kind of couldn't do that, you know. So we got George. George is George. And he has done something that's ultimately, I have to say it, um, almost criminally negligent going out there, you know, under those circumstances. I, I, I'm having a hard time getting past that. But um, what to do next? He's kind of got to try it again. Or, you know. Well, he has stated that he is going to. That's the idea. He, w he would like to, uh, like say, uh, you know, raise some funds, start a new foundation or up the new one and uh, maybe be more removed from the process this time. But as he said to Bill Green in an interview you can see on the web, uh, you know, the mission is good and I still want to do it. Well, the mission's been kind of beside the point for a long time. This whole thing has changed George's life. Totally well, changed his, his life. His entire family. Changed his life, changed his family. And uh, so what's George to do next? And, and uh, how hard is he going to be kicking himself in the ass for what went down the rest of his life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty heavy. That is, that's, like I say, pretty damn heavy. So there's the uh, raw faith story pretty much as we know it. And, uh, you know... Always tried to frame it as a dream. People, people got dreams and uh, want to pull the trigger on them. We need a world where that can be possible, you know. 
1-866-625-9378. I think that caller that was in the clip was really right on, the one who said the uh, he was concerned about the short planks and the continuity of the boat. I think, personally, I think that was probably the demise of the whole thing. No doubt about it. And here's the other thing that uh, somebody uh, talked to me about. Best thing that ever could have happened to it, sinking. Okay? And, and with the... Uh, because it wasn't going to live forever. The way it was built, it was not repairable. It had a shelf life. And when it was done, it wasn't going to be more than 12, 15 years yeah, old. pretty small shelf. And yeah. again, it, no way to repair it. So what do we do with it? We lose it at sea. That actually works out good. Well, the phone calls are coming in like crazy Could now. have George, like I said, plotted that out? No. Okay. Yeah. Nobody's going to go out there and lose their boat on purpose. All right. We have two phone calls. Let's go to the first one. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Captain Yo in Tremont. Good morning, Yo. Captain Yo, you couldn't have an opinion on this, could you? Well, I've been giving it some thought. <laughs> Plenty of people have set to sea on much less seaworthy craft than raw face, and the bottom is littered with their bones. I was going to add that. Thank but you. a number of them made it, and that's how we know. Now, it's a great idea to learn about obsolete types, but there is a reason why these types are obsolete. And to experiment with obsolete types, particularly people who are only marginally experienced, it's not very wise in 12 to the foot, and it is not fair to passengers and crew members. And personally, I think the way to study these antique types is with sailing models. And that's what I'm doing. I'm currently working on plans for a Santa Maria model. And I believe that's going to be a very impressive and instructive example of antique seafaring. And personally, I can't wait to see how the hell I'm going to rig the bow lines. Thanks so much for running this show. And it really is too bad about this loss. But, you know, nobody died. Yep. And that's really important. Thanks Have so a good day. Thanks so much, Captain Yo. Anytime. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. And mind you... Uh, We'd like to talk to a couple people, but including Bell Ryder, who's here from Ryder Boats, too. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, this is Jim from Burnham. Hi, Jim. And, uh, I was interested in the story and been following it on the wooden boat forum over the years, too. Uh, but uh, just in your description of the course of events, you just kind of, in your role of words, said uh, Andre is worthless in this situation. And uh, from what I know about Rough Faith, I don't trust McKay's decision-making and the fact that they both lived might have had more to do with Andre than with McKay. So not having been there, I don't know that, but but maybe he was the one that advocated calling the Coast Guard. I'd I don't like, know. I'd like to think that a um, uh, big reason George did pull the EPIRB uh, switch there was because of Andre more than more than himself. And right. if a uh, captain is going to have a crew member on board that's not fit or capable of doing the job, you know, is that the crew member's fault? No. no. Um, I'll tell you one. Look, uh, we were doing this. We were doing this swan back from Henry, uh, middle of the night. Uh, the engine goes out. We've already lost the electronics. Uh, it's 4.30 in the morning. We're out in the middle of the Gulf of Maine. What do you want to do? So we get the sail on her and start going. And uh, put the jib on her to get her going, get her uh, out of beam of the seas. Now, Tom is not having a happy trip. Tom's stomach was a little upset, and he wasn't uh, feeling too good. I wanted to get the mainsail on her, but I also wanted Tom to feel better. So, okay. uh, um, the, Jim, are you still on there? Um, okay. No, you lost Jim, but you've got another caller. Oh, okay. Sorry. The point being, I left the sailing of the boat for a couple hours to get Tom rested up. The crew was more important than, than getting the sail on that boat and getting in an hour early. Okay, crew comes first. That was that was what I decided decision. as captain, yeah. One of few. Just for example. Good, good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yeah, hi, my name is uh, Joe McGavey. I'm from Thomaston. Hi, Joe. Hi, I uh, appreciate the show. I think uh, the two words that you mentioned there earlier, you kind of muttered them a little bit under your breath, but I think the key phrase is, is uh, criminally negligent. Mm. Um, there's a lot about dreams, but if, if you were uh, a commercial enterprise, um, the Coast Guard routinely shuts down commercial enterprises for not meeting um, uh, safety and, and industry standards. Many vessels have been um, secured in port and not, left, not allowed to leave. And uh, if you think about it, the Coast Guard probably should have been a little bit more involved in this boat and not allowing it to leave. Um, and the problem is, uh, I think having dreams and stretching for things is great, but 
um, this example, I think, will make it a lot harder for more reasonable, more experienced um, people to try and do something like that on their own. There, you know, typically in the marine industry, when things like this happen, uh, more laws are written, making the um, hurdle higher for people trying to meet the letter of the law and and basic safety. So that's what I wanted to. Add. Joe, check out the uh, current issue of The Fisherman's Voice, which is out on newsstands right now for free. There's a little uh, picture story in there about a, uh, what was it, 90, uh, 100 feet uh, exquisite sailing vessel that was built in the uh, jungles down the Amazon, I think it was, by Native people. Okay, and it came to Gouldsboro this summer. It's on a mission around the world, and that thing is world class. Okay, that's an example of what you can do with uh, little resources and, pe- uh, you know, uh, like I say, just another way to go. They take, uh, you know, what do they call them, chronic offenders on the highway. We don't let them drive anymore. Same kind That's of right. thing, isn't it, you know? And the other thing to remember is, is um, even when it's done perfectly well and, and exquisitely, uh, they can be sunk as well, and that happens plenty as often. Oh, um, and maybe, you know, his dream is a great dream, and, and he answered the call, and I think that's fantastic. And maybe he'll have, like you said, um, he can uh, run the foundation and raise the money and, and raise enough money to... Uh, let it be done right, because uh, it certainly is a you know a noble idea. Yep, and like I was uh, saying earlier, now if uh, let's uh, let's uh, think you needed to dig a tunnel to China, okay, um, you could hire George to do that. He would get you your tunnel. You might not enjoy the process. Nobody would like working for him, but I'm telling you what, you would get a China uh, China tunnel at the end there. And again, that's remarkable. So what do you do with a person like that? You gotta you know. He's going to do what he's going to do, and uh, I don't know. Either get well, the out, other thing is, 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 for the rest of us uh, everyday common voters um, and taxpayers, uh, I'd hate to see the bill, the Coast Guard's bill for the, I believe it's up to three, perhaps four times that the Coast Guard had to rescue him, and at a certain point, um, you know, the tunnel's not getting built. Yep. Uh, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the rescue crew that's, that's really, really are the heroes at that point. Yeah, I tend to feel the Coast Guard, that's what they do, but, uh, you know, they're in harm's way, too. There's no way around that. Coast Guard could have put them on a cutter. They chose to put them in the helicopter, uh, but that's what they do, and they felt that was safe, so that's the way they do it. And, again, uh, you know, uh, everybody's doing their thing. Uh, Good talking to you this morning, Joe, anytime. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Joe. Anybody else want to chime in on that, or we get to talk to Bell sometime I here? I think we uh, should talk to Bell when we have the, yeah. the window opportunity. Yeah. Bell Ryder, say good morning here. You had a personal emergency. I was about to say hello to you, and you run out. Oh, sorry about that. A cold got the best of me. Yep. Um, you and your father, uh, Richard, are uh, uh, now, it used to be Union River Boat Company, I believe it's now. Is that still in operation, or is it now Ryder Boats? Nope. Union River Boat Company is still an entity, and then Ryder Boats is a side business. Union River Boat is owned by my parents, Richard and Patricia Ryder. Ryder Boats is owned by my dad and I. Nice. Um, and Ryder Boats is meant to market the Presto 30, and Union River Boat is meant to build them. Right. Union River Boat, I believe we could uh, describe that as a uh, uh, a, a tooling and, and molding fiberglass shop. You guys make um, fiberglass molds. Yep, and we were... I always like to say we were a ghost builder. We got our start building parts for the Hinkley Company um, back when they first launched their picnic boats. And, um, you know, we've built many parts for those boats. We've built hulls and decks for other boats, um, you know. And our work is out there, but you don't get to go up to it and say, that's my name on All that. All the beautiful Morris Day sailors that I get to sail around, you that come out of your shop, among other things, yeah. Um I first met your dad at the Hinkley Company years ago. He was one of my first best friends down the Hinkley Company. Uh, the dory he built down the Grand, uh, Outer Banks in North Carolina is uh, my boat now and has been forever. And, and your dad is a smart man, and he can, he can figure out about anything. He is good about figuring things out. He's ingenious. He's uh, uh, one of the best carpenters I know. I was always dismayed to see he went into fiberglass, but like I say, he's awful good at it. And uh, you guys got a very, very high-end um, uh, fiberglass shop there. And, and, again, here's the thing. We need to um, have a steady workflow. Well, and it wasn't just the steady workflow. It was also um, we want to be building something for ourselves, you know, just putting that product out there that the crew can have a lot of pride in and 
we leave a legacy behind. And of course, prior to the Presto, when we didn't have our own parts and pieces, who would buy a company? If I, you know, if I'm done, my kids don't want to do anything. What's the future for the company? Yeah. And again, uh, things get a little tough in the boat world. Well, some of these yards that are using you for parts now say, oh, we could keep our busy, people busy doing the parts, and you got to lay some people off. And yep. looking to spread out the workflow, and, and uh, what do you call that? Uh, 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 you know, uh, diversify. That's right. I was going to say consolidate, but that wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was August 2008, and the jobs, we were finishing the jobs. They were pouring out of the shop, and... Prior to that, they'd been pouring in just as fast as they were coming out and faster sometimes, which was a problem, but it was a good one. Um, And we looked at each other and we said, you know, now is the time. And we called Roger Martin, who had designed the outward bound boats that we had built the tooling for and the parts and pieces. Now, let's explain that. When you do that, you need to build a boat-shaped object and then use that as called a plug and then you use that to make a mold right. which you make the previous the other parts out of this boat shaped mo- object the plug then get sent to the dump that's right but incredible labor goes into producing this thing that is just the absolute perfect shape and i was around the shop when you were doing that and and the amount of work that went into like i say getting that thing to be the perfect shape and that goes to the dump blows me away well <laughs> there's a lot like of a hand boat. work and, yeah it's know. it's an incredible process so anyway you guys um the outward bound people needed to replace their uh, pulling boats and came up with this new design, which is based on a Sharpie. It's a schooner Sharpie. And by schooner Sharpie and yours is a cat catch, that, that's the same kind of hull with the, with the mass just arranged differently is all we're talking about. A little bit. We have a different, a little bit different shaped hull in the, yeah. the back. But the, no, I cut. mean, the rig is the same, yeah. um, except their um, masts are actually identical height. And um, so they went with Sharpie Schooner, yep. and our aft mast sits just a little bit lower into the hull, so it's a, a cat catch. So these turned out to be some remarkable boats, and uh, among other things, I heard about the fact that they were uh, um, used in the winter and, and uh, for, uh, down to uh, uh, the end of uh, the Keys there, Florida Keys, and uh, in the summertime off of uh, Hurricane Island, well, they get back and forth on their own bottoms, and uh, the outward bound instructors uh, deliver them, on, you know, row and sail them up the east coast through the waterway 24 hours a day at night under bridges that don't see many people in oars and boats like that. And uh, so I heard about that that way. And uh, finally met our friend Thor Emery of Thorfinn Expedition, so we talked to last month here. And uh, Thor has been looking for a place to uh, start a business, outdoor business. And again, he's going kayaking. Everybody's going kayaking, climbing. And he saw it, and the outward bound boat and and uh, your version just sparked his business. We talked to with him last last month on boat talk. Great story, and uh, went sailing with him early last November out of Rockland on a howling day. Wrote it up on the boat talk website. Uh, adventure sailing adventure, and it's a pretty cool story. Now, you guys, like I say, are trying to spread your workflow out and uh, looking for a project that you can build now. It's not a simple thing to take a new boat design on paper and turn it into something real, is it? Oh, it never is, and it's always an evolution. And, um, you know, one of my dad's lines is, well, you were supposed to be a boy, but I changed my mind. (laughs) So, um, you know, we've ended up, each boat that we've built has just gotten better and better and better. And we've, the third boat finally went out the door today, um, We've got the fourth and the fifth and the sixth um, in various stages of construction, and we're actually building more molds for them to, for a better interior. And actually, the seventh and the eighth were just sold last week. So it is going to be evolving, but it's evolving. They're all cut. They're all semi-custom. They have been all semi-custom. Yes. There's two ways to do this. One is this is the boat we build. It's uh, you know the little old day. They're all the same. Okay, you buy it, you take it, you want a shelf in it, add it yourself. But you guys like I say, are semi-custom, and that is a challenge, too. I think this one in particular, the one that just went down the road today, the very number unusual, three, very unusual. is uh, <laughs> interesting because it's uh, electrically powered, too, designed yeah, it has from the get-go. twin electric motors with a 6KW DC generator um, to provide the power for those electric motors. Retractable, too. But uh, the yes, motors do not run the propellers directly. The generator doesn't run the... right. The generator produces the the power, yes, and it goes to the batteries first. These um, propellers are 
on a lift that goes straight up and down through the transom, and there's two plastic propellers, uh, port and starboard, and they lift up and down, and, and when they're up, the bottom is sealed behind them, and, and uh, you know, hydrodynamically uh, clean and stuff, so the boat's very fast. Yes. And uh, it's a pretty interesting rig. You also put a pop top on that one. The whole cabin top comes up on the air on a big square post. Yes, and actually... Um it was one of those features that the designer put in that we kind of grumbled about a little bit because as builders, we're looking at it thinking, oh, that's going to be a pain. Looks simple in the picture. You try to figure it out and make it real, yeah. Yeah, but it works. You know, one of the the man who bought um, Boat 4, he, he says about my dad, he says, your dad, he's a real country engineer. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> so, um, you know, he can, he figures it all out. Um, and there were many iterations of... Um, different lift mechanisms, but the final one works really well, and um, we're pretty pleased with it, and we think it'll become a, a good option. Interesting package. Another interesting thing we like around Boat Talk here, you got composting toilets in your head. These have a full head uh, compartment on them, uh, remarkably enough. And again, this boat, you have to imagine, it is very shallow draft. At, uh, with the centerboard up, draws about a foot or less. Twelve and a half inches, Twelve yeah. and a half inches, yeah. It's, it's incredible. It is also, uh, we sailed it on a day, I wrote about, again, on Boat Talk website, it looked like a crazy day to go out sailing, and uh, we thought we were taking chances, and, and as I said, there was no drama, there were no real chances, we had a hell of a good time, and, and uh, felt safe and secure, and, and uh, we're, like I say, going, whoosh, the whole time too, having too much fun. Um, it's a remarkable boat to sail, it's fast. Yeah, Thor, actually, the day before he took you sailing, when it was um, blowing even harder. 35 or so, yeah. Yeah. He, um, they were pushing it, and he said, I wish we'd had another chance because we'd have shaken all the reefs out and gone gone again. But um, they hit 13.8 knots surfing down a wave. That's incredible. With, you know, a 30-foot boat. Yeah, that's incredible. And according, uh, the, the longer the boat is, the faster it can go. And a 30-foot boat to go that fast has to be out of the water, basically. Yeah, it's planing. <laughs> but it's not a good place. It's not your normal place for a sailboat to be out of the water. <laughs> But it, I mean, it feels so, it doesn't feel scary. It feels solid doing it. And uh, so anyway, here's the other cool thing. Uh, God, I almost left this part out. You guys have got a lot of press um, on this boat here. And it comes down to, okay, now you've, you've got this project. You've figured out how to do it. These are all really difficult things to do. But to me, it's like being a fisherman and catching a fish. That's not the real job. Real job's to sell it. Okay? Yeah. Just because you can make it happen, figure it out, doesn't mean you can sell them. That's a hell of a trick, too. How the hell are you going to sell these things? You a salesman? No. Not well, strictly speaking, now you are. Yeah, that, that became my job. Um, my job is pretty much what my dad doesn't want to do, I, I take on. so. <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to work, I think, speaking as a dad. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, and when we took this project on and decided to do it, it's an unusual boat. It's fast. It's trailerable. Um, it's a centerboard boat. Uh, it's twin rigs. It's got these wishbones. Um, they cut the top of the triangle off the sail. That's right. Uh, They're flathead. them, which flat looks cool sails. but unusual. So um, we were definitely not treading the path that everybody else had taken with these traditional-looking day sailors. Or, you Doesn't know, look like of... a little hunter or one of the, you know, little plastic knockoffs. No, no nothing um, like them. So... Um, it was kind of a risk, but we figure if we're going in, let's go in whole hog and um, see, see where we end up. But because the designer did such a fabulous job with the hull, because it performs so well, um, and it really fills a need that um, hasn't been identified. Pe lots of people want to go shoal water sailing because there's the harbors, the deep harbors are full. Oh, yeah. Um, and... There's lots of people who build their own Sharpie. Um, There's one on the cover of the current wooden boat magazine built out of scraps down in yeah. Florida. So, um, you know, when pe and people have said to me, they've said, oh, you know, I was thinking about building my own boat, but now that I see that you have this done, what a great idea. Um, and the magazines, Sail Magazine um, awarded us one of their best boats, best cruising monohull under 50 feet. That's pretty big. Yeah, that's and good then, bragging rights for a salesperson. And Cruising World, um, we took them out in Annapolis, and um, you know they said, "You guys, you you defy categorization." Um, I'll, you're gonna have to take that as a compliment. <laughs> it's a it's a wonderful compliment, and um, 
you know, just the whole the whole article was was great. So they created a category for us so that they could call us a boat of the year. So we win the Cruising Spirit Award from Cruising World as a for a boat of the year. More good stuff for the sales brochure, ain't it? It's it's great, and you yep. know, it's just we are a small company. We always have been. Uh, it's been my dad and I running the shop, running the the shop floor, um, and to get that. Uh, reassurance, I guess, from the from the mainstream press that you guys are not entirely insane. I guess we're building boats, so that makes us slightly insane. And you got to get you got to get noticed. So you've been going to the boat shows. We've been going to the boat shows. We We've... were uh, visiting down the Maine Boats and Harbors boat show where we did the boatyard dog thing, Alan and I, and, and had That's a nice right. little visit. Been Annapolis, been Newport. You've been around. We have been around, and. Um, we are always very busy, and there's a lot of people that, that don't get it. They see the two masts, and um, they're like, oh, why do you do that? Or how do you get the 12-inch draft? Or, um, you know, they have to ask a lot of questions, and I love that because it's um, really nice to educate somebody about a different type of cruising. And then there's other people who come up, and they can tell you more about your boat than you knew yourself, you know, and they're fun to talk to as well. Who has hull number one, which is always an uh, interesting uh, boat to take in a series? Roger Martin and Phil Garland have hull number one. Roger is the designer, and Phil Garland is a partner of Hull Spars, probably the biggest spar maker in the world. And he is the rigging half of um, Hull Spars and a very good racer. Pretty interesting that those boys have the, have the first one as a develop, and like I say, a, a, a boat uh, evolving. Yes, and they've, I mean, their feedback on the boat has just been fabulous. And then Thor Emery has boat number two. Thorfinn Expeditions. Yep. And, uh, and like I say, last month, and ThorfinnExpeditions.com, highly recommend the website. Yep, and we are, um, we have kind of a collaborative marketing um, agreement. I pay to have the boat taken to the different boat shows, but at the same time, he gets to put up all his expedition um, information. Thor would have been here this morning, except for he's driving south with your third boat right now, taking That's it to right. Florida, who's going to set it up for the customer and, and do right. that thing for you. It's an interesting relationship. And he's actually... And you um, need somebody to do that, too. Well, he's going to take over more and more of the um, sales role um, as I train him. Um, Good luck. <laughs> I hope, I guess as I train him, I hope that he still wants to do it. How's that? Yeah. But um, he's done a, a great job so far. He talked his father into buying a boat. Um, ben Emery got boat seven. Oh, so cool. I like Ben. So they're yeah. going to get a, um, they're going to get a pilot house version. So they have six foot two headroom all the time. Well, Ben's with, pretty tall. How well, was... it's actually more for his wife. Um than, than for Ben. He says, I don't care. I just sit down. But Diana has to do the cooking and, and the cleaning. <laughs> I stopped by your shop last week to make sure you'd be here today. And on your uh, bulletin board, I saw one that was drawn uh, uh, kind of cartoonish with an aft cabin. And I went, I went, what the hell is that? And... That actually was a smaller, it was a 27-foot Sharpie. It was a custom Sharpie that somebody had had Roger Martin design for them. And um, they've ended up going for a regular Presto um, they're, Possibilities are endless, though. Yeah, well, they're getting boat eight. It's this long and this wide. What can we do with this space? Exactly. You know, semi-custom has a lot of possibilities. The only limit is your pocketbook. Yep. I, uh, oh, do this very, uh, you know, we're talking most of $100,000 for one of these things brand new, ain't we? The base price is one ten, yep. And then um, you, they usually go out between, like, one twenty five, one one thirty five. Um, yeah, because if you you need a toilet paper holder and some curtains and, like, say, some bells and whistles. so Well, yeah, and you, you probably will want to add an engine. We've actually um, – one person is going to put an outboard off the transom, um, which was kind of the original thought. Um, most of them so far have had that outboard in the well just behind the cabin back. And it goes straight up and down straight on a up pennant and down. lift. And it has a, a flap on the bottom, though, when it's in its up position, the bottom's all clean, and there's yep. no hole in it to create turbulence and slow us down from going 13.8 knots. That's right. Yeah. And um, It's very unusual, but it works. And it's there's very a few, um, a couple inboards now as well. Uh, so a, a little Westerbeek 12C diesel uh, with a folding prop. In a way, there's almost too many possibilities, aren't there? There are, which means that... Um, 
you know, when people look at the boat and they start trying to spec it out, um, if they have this wild imagination that wants this and that and whatever, we'll accommodate them. But the problem is, you know, they start dialing it back and they think, well, maybe I just should go with what you've already decided on. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah. Uh, realizing people's dreams is uh, an interesting business, yeah. Um, you guys got a good website? We do. I build it myself. I'm pretty proud of it. All right. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> what is it? Oh, it's www.riderboats.com. Yeah. And again, uh, thorfinexpeditions.com. Um, he's, Thor has been taking a lot of film. And he's been putting that, besides pictures, there's a lot of uh, moving pictures up on the Thorfinn Expeditions one, including one with me in it. I don't recommend that one, but you might find it interesting. Um, also on the Boat Talk website, there's a story about sailing the boat and a, uh, uh, another one by Alan about uh, uh, Thor and I rigging it with pictures that you might find interesting. The whole thing is very unusual. For instance, um, a trailer sailor, to me, it's, it's the easier it is to use something, the more it'll get used. And the harder it is to set up the boat, if it takes if it takes five hours once you get to the waterfront to get the mass up and get it rigged, it ain't going to get used every weekend, you know. Well, certainly not off the trailer. Yeah, and if it's dangerous to put the mass up and, and is risky every time, pretty soon mommy ain't going to want to be part of that and it ain't going to happen. But this is really easy to rig, and you guys have just a fascinating rig to do this called a gin pole. Can you explain that? Well, the gin pole goes into a deck tube mounted next to the mass tube, and so it's just a single pole. It has a winch on it. It's um, like 10, 12 feet long, just a hunk of aluminum uh, It's pipe. 16 feet. Okay. Hunk of aluminum pipe. Um, Got a pulley on the top end and a little hand winch. A, little, a pulley on the top end. And it's a, little, a crane. It's exactly what it is. And um, if we were smart, we'd hook up a drill to that winch because there's a lot of turning. But you just crank that winch handle and... You, you know, get the you, mast on the balance point. It picks the mast up very safely, up. And, and when it gets past the balance point and tilts down, you put it in the hole and let it down. Yep. And as I wrote, no drama. There's no drama. Hard to mess that up. Thor will even undertake that process with me. Yeah, which is a pretty – and like I say, the easier you, do, you make it to happen, the more it will happen. So uh, uh, like I say, nice job. Yeah. The gin pole is like an old-school thing from uh, – you know, the old days where if they needed a crane, they'd, they'd put up a pole or, or a lash three trees together and put a block on the end and block and tackle. And, and there's know. a thousand different ways to do it. We don't think that way anymore, though, And we've we? tried about 500 of them. Yeah. So this one uh, that we've landed on works very well. And like I say, obvious? No, not quite. But genius? Yes. Pretty cool. Um, more boat shows happening this winter? Yeah, we'll be in Miami in February. Um and then we'll be at the Main Boat Builder Show in March. Yeah. And then we get a little break until um, the Rockland Show in August. Now, how many of these boats have we sold? Eight. So, you know, I, I feel like this is uh, a legitimate... Seven last week. That's pretty good, pal. Yeah. Well, this is a legitimate brand now. It's a legit... You know, it's not just this fringe boat. And the more that are out there, you create like a little uh, presto avalanche That's once right. they get going, you know. And people are going to want to race those things because they're so fast. And I actually, I missed one of Boat Show because we just decided on it uh, yesterday. We're going to the um, Strictly Sail Pacific show out in uh, Oakland, California in April. Ain't you having a good time yes. being the sales lady? Well, the nice thing is I get to fly out to California and Thor has to drive the boat. So There you go. Phone's just ringing, but we ain't got time for that. Apparently, nobody there. Hey, we are coming up to the end of the boat talk. And um, like I said, we sort of had two full shows this morning. We could have done Raw Faith for the whole hour, and we could talk to Bell for the whole hour. We didn't we should, even uh, do all our other stuff. But at the end, yes. Exactly. Thank you. Mention our friend Chummy Rich, boat builder from down at Bass Harbors. He's going to be uh, the subject of Chummy Rich, Main Boat Builder, a movie that Jeff Dobbs has made. It's going to be presented at the Criterion Theater in Bar Harbor on Friday the 17th at 7 p.m. It's a, a free admission movie sponsored by the Tremont Historical Society. And Chummy's quite the character. I'm just looking forward to seeing this movie. Are we going to start having to treat Chummy like a movie star now? Because that's just going to be... <laughs> well, he, yeah, he likes It's going to be weird, that. man. Even before this, he wanted to be treated like a movie star. Chummy's a hell of a fellow, uh, rich, rich uh, boat shop down there in West Tremont. And uh, again, uh, Criterion Theater. What day is that, Alan? It's uh, Friday the 17th, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. 
I'm back tomorrow morning and play some music on the Barefoot Blues Hour at 9 o'clock. Alan's back Thursday on Extra Large Soul Show. I'm also going to be uh, doing a little special cameo thing on Voices this afternoon at 4 o'clock, talking more about Boat Talk. All right. Not we do a call in, though. Boat Talk, second Tuesday of the month. Be up on the web later if you want to check more of this. And check out the website, boattalk.org, and pay attention to everything else we told you about. Great. Stay tuned for uh, On the Wing coming up next with Megan this week. Till then. Thanks for tuning in to Boat Talk, and don't forget to support Community Radio. We're a little bit short, and we could use your help. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for powerboats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. And now for another edition of WERU Fundraising Theater. Hey, Matt, how's it going?